This is the Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. Welcome to today's podcast episode. In celebration of World Pride, which is happening right now, I'm recording this episode before we head down and celebrate at Mardi Gras in Sydney, but this episode will be live just off the back of that. So it is currently World Pride for us here. It takes place from the 17th of Feb to the 5th of March, and I am personally so excited to get down there and be part of it. So today's episode is a conversation, and I say conversation, but truly I could have just sat there and been mute the whole time. I just wanted to listen to Sean, and I think I even say it in the episode, or maybe I said it once we stopped recording, but it felt like just my own personal podcast. I was sitting there like, oh shit, I've got to speak, I've got to say something, but I love Sean. I think he's just such a light. If you don't know who Sean is, Sean Zepps is a content creator. He is a writer. I would say he's a bit of a comedian. He hosts a podcast as well, which is called Come Out Wherever You Are, a brilliant podcast. And we start our conversation just chatting about everything that he is doing over there and why it's such a great podcast. So I definitely recommend going over and clicking subscribe on that one. If you're not following Sean yet, jump on over. He does describe himself as a DILF, dad I like to follow. He is a very proud dad of boy-girl twins. Sean and I intended to record this episode a while ago, but he has twins, I have twins, school holidays, life, all of the things meant that we have only finally just gotten around to sitting down and recording it, and I was very excited to see him. I think that this is a really important podcast episode. It's important to me for reasons that are close to my heart, but I think it's important for any parent to really listen to Sean's words. And I've stolen like the title of this episode directly from his mouth because he says that during our conversation, he talks about what it means to be a parent and our job as parents. And it's not about... um it's not about like, oh, this is what you must do, but it's it's much more, and you'll hear it, but it's much more about as parents, how do we stay connected to our children and support them and be like be that safe space for them? So we chat about coming out, we talk about children coming out, we speak about struggles, we speak about raising inclusive kids. It's a rich conversation. I adore Sean. I'm so grateful for his time. Jump on over, give him a follow. He's at Sean Zepps, S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Sean, thank you so much for making time to have a chat with me. I've been so looking forward to doing this. I am really, really excited. This is like months in the making. So I have, it's like, you know, you're going on a first date. (laughs) and you're finally here you're like let's do this (laughs) we are here and I'm so excited I guess like one of the reasons I've been so looking forward to speaking with you is I just consider you to be such an inspiring open book when it comes to not only sharing your story, but also just the conversations you have, especially over on your podcast. You've got this amazing podcast 
come out wherever you are, where you have these truly like insightful conversations with guests, conversations that have just had me in tears and also laughing. Mm-hmm. It's just such a brilliant, brilliant podcast. And you're speaking with individuals about their experience of coming out in a variety of ways. You yourself have gone through your own coming out experience. Yes. And you're also a parent to twins, Mm -hmm. uh, which we were chatting about twin life before we hit record. But with all of this wisdom, I would love to know, Sean, if a child comes to a parent and says that they are struggling with their identity or perhaps they want to come out as trans or gay or non-binary or just start a conversation, how can we as parents respond in a way that's going to support the child? Luckily, this is a really simple answer. It's so simple. It's so easy. Don't worry. No one has thought about I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh, it's a complicated question. You just say this one thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just say this one thing. The rest of your child's life is going to be perfect. Don't worry. It is. As you were talking just now, I was reminded of how complex the human experience is, how unique each child is, how different every parent is. And because of that, there's such a nuance in the way that you can answer that question, isn't there? Because at the end of the day, I can come to you with my experience of coming out to my parents, my experience of interviewing a lot of people about their journey. But the reality is, I don't know you. I don't know your family dynamic. I don't know your religious upbringing. I don't know your culture. I don't know the age of your child. And so I guess the first thing we have no choice but to acknowledge is that complexity, right? Uh, People are going to hear this conversation and the advice that I am happy to share. And they have no choice but to take a step back and say, maybe everything Sean says won't be relevant to my unique uh, experience. But at the end of the day, I have talked to a lot of people about it. So I'm really hopeful that there's some knowledge I can pass down. Um, You and I have spoken about this separately, but I think there is a lot of work that parents can do before their children come out. If you are a parent listening to this with a six-month-old, with a two-month-old, if you're not even a parent yet, but you want to be one day, there's actually work that you can be doing now to better prepare for the potential. It's just the potential. And it's a small potential. But the potential that your child is one of the 10% who might experience and want to come out one day. And so for me, I always say to parents or or soon-to-be parents or wannabe parents, what would it look like to imagine a world where your child wasn't bound to a specific label? What would it look like to imagine that your child wasn't straight? Again, it's just a possibility. It's a thought experiment. So much of what we do as parents, at least parents who are passionate and love their children and, and want to be best prepared is to just ask ourselves, what would it be like if my child wasn't straight? How would I respond? Ask your partner, how would you respond? And for me, the key to my success as a parent and feeling prepared for the potential of that moment is having worked through those thought experiments. That's really the simple first thing I'd say is my mom thought 
It was a hypothesis. It was an inference inspired by the way I behaved and my interests. But she thought in the very back of her head, there is a possibility that my son is different than the rest of the boys. And because of that, over the years, from around the age of three until 12, she had time to just sit with that possibility and workshop different ways she might respond. Through the lens of being a religious woman, I grew up in the Roman Catholic faith, through the lens of being a Cuban, uh, which is my cultural identity, and through the lens of being the wife to a man who she didn't understand fully how he would behave. But those years, you know, that, that large chunk of time, nearly a decade, allowed her to just explore different ways that she could best support me. And so I always say to parents, do the work now. What's holding you back? You're listening to this conversation, right? We're in a really good time in Australian history. We got the ability to get married. Your children can have if they are queer, they can have children. Like it's a good time to be alive if you're a queer person. So what what would stop you from going, huh, I have this child who is not sexually active most likely, but they might come out to me one day and how can I be best prepared to support them? And also those sorts of thoughts, I think, allow you then as a parent to make sure you're using inclusive and encouraging language you know the dialogue I've always had with my boys from before they could even talk was you know love can be between a man and a woman sure it can be between a man and a man it can be between a woman and a woman you know I've had of course thoughts in my mind and it can between you know and so on and so forth in my mind about my own children but also beyond my own children I knew that if I was speaking with them in that way and reading books about different families and different ways of being, then as they move through the world, they're not going to be shocked or uh, confused or think it's anything different Mm. when they come across those dynamics as well themselves. So I think I just wanted to echo the sentiment of, yes, we can do this work ourselves with our thoughts. How would I feel? How would I support my child? But even beyond our own children and their own, uh, you know, proclivities and identities and choices, just the importance that we have as parents to make sure we are paving the way for the next generation that like, oh, this is fine. You know, you don't have, yeah, you don't, I don't know. I just think as parents, we can think about our own kids, but also we can go beyond that as well. Oh, you're so right. And I think it's really valuable maybe to share a, kind of story with you and with the listeners about the impact that it has to live in a world where you can't see yourself. So I often say, if you can't see yourself, it is impossible to be yourself, but it's actually a lot darker than that. I think any parent who's spent time online will know that young queer children are a lot more likely to consider harming themselves, to take action on harming themselves. And they also are more likely to struggle with mental health issues. And they are also more likely to commit suicide. We have that data. We know that to be true. There's complexities in the why part of that, where are they coming from? Who is their family support system? And what issues are they dealing with mentally? But if you put that aside and just focus on the potential of there being this child that is struggling in silence and not coming to you as a parent, I don't think anyone listening who's a parent doesn't want their children to be able to come to them if they're hurting. And so through the lens of this unique conversation, when I was a child, I did not see myself or anyone like me in any shape or form, not in a movie, 
not in a song, not in a Disney play, not in a, a poster and a toy that I could play with. And so when you're struggling in silence at such a young age, confused by the feelings you have inside, and you look into your own nuclear family and you see an archetype for what normal is and you don't fit that, why would you ever go to your own parents who are proof that you are different and proof that maybe you're not normal and proof in the worst case scenario that you are bad or a sinner or are wrong? So as a parent, how do we fix that? How do we take that Get wall? That bridge. Exactly. If it's building up slowly without your knowledge I say this to parents all the time. You don't have access to the script in your in your child's head. You might think that you do, but you do not. You don't really know what's going on all the time. And the best way to do that, like you've said, is to just be inclusive in every way that you communicate. Again, it's just for the potential. But if it's not for them, so let's say every single time uh, another parent talks to your child and says, do you have a boyfriend? Which is so ridiculous and disgusting. Why are we sexualizing young kids? But whatever, people do it. You're allowed to jump in as the parent and say, or girlfriend, you can do that. You can just like jump in and, and give them that second option. If your child says, well, I get married one day, you can say, maybe if you want to, you can get married to a boy, you can get married to a girl, you can get married to anyone or nobody at all. Like you are allowed very simply to take an extra 30 seconds to layer in those things. And that is if you're confident, right? Let's say you feel comfortable with that as an option. If you're listening and your beliefs or your culture tell you that that is wrong, you're also allowed to say some people will get married too. You can make it not about their options. You can make it about others because the other rude reality is no matter what you believe in, babe, we exist. We're all around. And so they are going to run into children with two dads. They are going to run into children with two moms. And so, yeah, those are the two options. You can be inclusive in your language and it will, one, increase the likelihood that they feel supported if that is them one day. Or two, if it's not them one day, they're more likely to be a nice human if they encounter other people who are like that. And that's just a part of empathy and, and sympathy is helping to raise children who are aware of the reality of the world that they're living in. There's literally no downside. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess the argument for for the rights, uh, and I, I say right, but I just mean like the other the other side of the argument mm -hmm. is by using those words, are you planting a seed that that's an option for them, and they might want to go out and grab it, and that's we should hold space for that, you and I, because people are thinking it in the back of their head, aren't they? It's such a wild concept to me, though. I find that so uncomfortable and so unsettling mm. that there are people who would think that by having this conversation, they're then planting this seed and they're guiding their child towards something just by having these conversations. I find that such an uncomfortable thing and that you and I have had personal exchanges where I've shared with you other things that have been uncomfortable, you know, like an exchange where some children had said that gay is a swear word yeah. and it just baffled me that we're in this this time it's 2023 and there are still people who have such little awareness yeah like I find it so just personally incredibly frustrating and I can't imagine how I mean you know what I mean like that's yeah, from my course. point of view and it's I, I'm not living through it myself right now but yeah um, I I guess I was really lucky that I grew up in a small town and I grew up in a religious community because it allowed me to understand 
I guess, the other. I live in a city, a big city. I've only ever lived in cities, New York, Los Angeles, and now Sydney. But when I was a kid, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in a smaller town where people don't have access to a lot of diversity and difference. And that allowed me to have a lot of empathy for people who wouldn't understand who I am and wouldn't want that, who believe that it is a sin and believe that it is a choice. And I guess it gives you some perspective um, into who might be listening, who isn't just from a city and isn't coming across a lot of people who are different all the time and what it might feel like to come across someone like us. And what I often say is, you're not wrong in thinking it. There's nothing bad about you for questioning if a conversation about sexuality or gender might influence your child. Because the reality is, yeah, children love to explore and experiment and play and try different hats on. Just like they want to be a firefighter one day and then six weeks later, they want to be a professional dancer. I just feel like I don't understand as a parent why you wouldn't want to create a space where it's completely acceptable to explore and experiment. The truth is we do have a lot of the data. A lot of people who come out of the closet, most people who come out as trans or non-binary, people who transition, people who come out as gay and and find a lover, don't actually go back in the closet, uh, don't actually detransition. The percentages of people who do get blown up in the media as this like huge problem. The reality is your job as a parent is to create a safe space for your children. That's your job is to make sure they feel comfortable in your home. And so if your child is coming to you and they're telling you something about themselves and your first thought is this might be a phase, who cares? Keep that information to yourself. Your job, suicide prevention, literally suicide prevention is just to support them and to say, amazing, great, congratulations. You would never turn to a kid and go, you're not going to be a firefighter. You're too young to understand that. What do you, it's just a phase. You would never do that. And that tone, the subject doesn't matter. Guess what? Your child just hears the tone. My child, my parent isn't supportive of me. They don't believe me. My thoughts are not real. I can't be trusted. And if that's the relationship you want to create, go off, sis, do it. See what happens. I was reading an interesting study and it was saying that, you know, the study had been held. I think it was in San Diego, perhaps. Don't quote me. I'll put a link in the show notes, but it was saying that, you know, 1% of nine-year-olds had actually, out of this study pool, had actually identified as, um, I think that the language they used was as gay or homosexual, perhaps they might have used that language. And then they were going on to say that there's this disconnect where parents often assume that children start out straight and then they end up changing. Whereas this study was saying, no, if a child is asked at a young age and the child understands the question, Mm -hmm. it's all about the way that you frame the question. Kids know at a young age, they do know themselves. They know uh, what they're attracted to. They know themselves, but if they don't have the language, then they struggle to express it or accept it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I get asked a lot. I would say it's probably the most common question queer people get asked amongst friends is like, when did you know? And I have spoken to thousands of queer people across the gender and sexual spectrum. And almost all of us were aware at some time between five and 11. It usually gets cemented around 11 before or during that puberty transition. But I was a hundred percent aware that I liked men when I was seven years old. And you, 
you just could not convince me otherwise. And when you talk to people who are straight, they have a similar relationship to their sexuality. You know, around that time, they start to get crushes. Around that time, they start to become drawn to certain characters on television. Around that time, they have fantasies, be it, you know, immature. I guess I, even if you don't believe that, I just don't understand what is so wrong with supporting your child when they've come to you. Because at the end of the day, when someone walks up to you and chooses to speak their truth, that is a choice. They didn't have to tell you that. Most people never tell their parents their truth. The number of friends I have who are still alive, who don't, will wait until their parents die before they come out publicly is I can't count them on all my fingers and toes. And these are people alive today in 2023. And so if that's the relationship you want with your child, you don't care. You're so set in your ways that homosexuality is bad, that you would prefer your child to lie to you. You don't want a close relationship with them. That is a choice that you are making. But I have a feeling, because I know you and I know your audience, that almost everyone listening to that does not want this. They said, well, wait a second. I, of course I want my child. I want to go on a holiday with my children when they're 21. I want them to call me when they have a breakup. I want you them want to, to tell know me. your child. Yes. Yeah. That's part of you, loving them is knowing them. Mm, absolutely. And, and their ability to love you, right? Look, let's flip the script. So much of us are the, the parenting conversation is about how we can best support our children. But what about their ability to support us? What about their ability to love us? What about their ability to understand the nuances of who we are? A big part of being an accepting, empathetic, loving, supportive individual is creating a space where your children feel that they can come to you. And I think, yeah, it's a two-way street. Like you get to make that decision. And again, this is all possibilities, right? This isn't going to happen to a lot of parents listening, but it is our job as modern day parents to prepare for the possibility of them coming and telling us things about themselves, Um, things that you might not be prepared for. We have a lot of conversations publicly about what it means to be gay and what it means to be lesbian. But there are a lot of people on this earth who aren't interested in sex at all, who have feel broken, who feel confused. There's not a lot of conversations about asexuality, but there are children while everyone's going through puberty who are like, I'm not interested in this. I don't want to have a partner. And they need to be able to come to you and say that without you being like, oh, it's just a phase. Don't worry. Just wait until you meet the right person. It's just damaging. It tells them that they're bad and that they're wrong. And it further plants seed in their mind that the feelings they're having aren't feelings they should talk about. And no one should want that as a. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yeah, it's incredibly dismissive, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Something I've noticed, Sean, is that there can be a real disconnect surrounding some of the things you just spoke about then, such as like... For a child who's perhaps in primary school, grade one, grade two, grade three, that kind of age group, it is so common for people to say, oh, have you got a crush on someone? Have you got a boyfriend? Have you got a girlfriend? But if we're having a conversation around a child in that age bracket coming out as 
trans, non-binary, gay, so on and so forth, um, often it is dismissed and then it is put through this lens of, oh, they're too young, they don't know. Mm. But it's that inherent, um, I guess it's kind of like an inherent homophobic response of being like, it's okay if you're straight. Like that's fine to have a crush if you're straight and that's acceptable. But then if they have a crush on a child that's the same gender as them, then that's wrong. Oh, you hit the nail on the head. finding that so frustrating. And I had this conversation in real life, right, with someone I love and adore, um, you know, a family member, and we were having a similar conversation about this where it was being very much like, oh, no, a child that age doesn't know. They're going to grow out of it. Mm. And they don't know. And I said, don't you remember when I had a crush on so-and-so in grade three? Like I remember taking Easter eggs to school and having a crush on this boy. I remember having a crush on Kaniki when I was like watching Grease. You have little crushes as a child. So if your child comes to you and has a crush on a child that's the same gender as them, don't like dismiss it and tell them that they'll grow out of it or make it wrong just because you have that initial response of, oh, that's uncomfortable because you're going, I think, 10 steps down the road to what does that mean? And, oh my gosh, what would that look like for my child? And it's like, no, 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 they're just in the crust, crush stage and they have a oh, right to be in the crush stage. Absolutely. There is a lot to unpack here because at the forefront of what you're saying is us projecting our understanding of what it means to be a queer person onto our children who are growing up in a very different time than you and I grew up in, right? When I was a kid, there weren't queer people on television when I was really young. And when there were, we were the butt of a joke. And if it wasn't the butt of the joke, we were like a victim in a CSI show. And even as media progressed, we were the comedic relief. We were the sidekick, but we were never the love interest. We were never seen as fully formed people. And for most of our parents' generation, their understanding of what it means to be queer is that you would die. And they weren't unjust in thinking that, right? The headlines were gay men dying everywhere. AIDS, AIDS, HIV, AIDS, like it was everywhere. And so you have this entire generation of parents who are justified in thinking this is a scary life to live. They won't be supporting. Yeah, they won't be enjoyable. They'll be made fun of. They'll be laughed at. But I'm here to tell you something. If you don't know my face and you don't follow me online, just like listen to the words coming out of my mouth. I have two children. I have a beautiful husband. I got married when I wanted to get married. I have a wonderful, wonderful career. I have a massive group of friends and a beautiful house that I own and a family that loves and supports me. There is nothing about my life that is different to yours. I have all the same problems with my children. I have to change nappies just like you have to change nappies. I also cry after kindergarten drop off. The nuance of what you think my life is going to be and how many people are going to laugh at me or throw nasty words or that maybe I'm going to burn in hell after I spend my time on earth are seeds that got planted in your head unbeknownst to you, indoctrination of its finest, that told you, again, maybe justifiably, that my life was going to be terrible. But guess what? My life is pretty fantastic. So your child's can be too. And so the first thing is like, remove that from the past, go to a a kindergarten or go to a primary school or a high school now. And guess what? They don't care so much about sexuality. The adults do. It's not the kids. They're skipping around, exploring pronouns, having crushes, 
not shaving their armpits or legs anymore because girls can do whatever they want. Like times are a change in babe. So like you have to ask yourself, are the feelings that I'm having, the concerns and fears I have for my child outdated or relevant to the child's experience today? So that's the first thing I just really want parents to consider. Consider my story, think about my life now. And then guess what? Your child can have all this probably in a much safer and easier, better supportive way than I had to. Because it, I, you know, obviously I was alive as the vote was happening, as the laws were being passed. But guess what? They, 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 they can just have it all now. Your child can have all that. It's going to be great. So there's that. And then I guess the second thing that I you know, was thinking about while you were talking is, is your child worried? Is your child concerned? Is your child scared? Because if they're coming to you and saying, I have a crush and I think he's cute, why would you ruin that energy? Do you do that when your girlfriends come and talk to you about their new boyfriends as adults? Because if you do, you don't sound like a great friend, babe. If your child is not afraid, do not take their glass, which is currently half full, and pour out water. Because once you do that, they have a glass that's half empty and it's the only way they know how to drink. That's up to you. You're in control of that. So I constantly try to remove myself in the equation and go, is my child asking me to be afraid for them? And if the answer is no, then you can keep that inside and go to a therapist or talk to your mate about it afterwards. But if they're coming to you with happiness and excitement, it's probably best to be a mirror for that emotionally. And what would you say, Sean, to parents who would then respond with, but I want to set my child up for the real world. Yes, the real world is so much better than it was, Mm. but there are still going to be unaccepting people out there. How do we as parents, I guess, straddle that line of nurturing, fostering, keeping them safe and, Mm. you know, letting them know that's perfectly fine, but then also sending them out into the world where, that might not be the response from everyone. And I guess Mm. I can relate to this a little bit because one of my boys and people who have followed for years will know this. One of my boys pretty much dressed as Elsa from Frozen for like two years of his life. I'm talking full wig, everything. And that was so fine and normal in our household. Like no one bat an eyelid at that. But then we would go out into the world and some people found that really hard to digest. And I can remember having conversations with people in my life saying, I have built my son up to just be so comfortable how he is, but have I done him a disservice by not letting him know that not every room he walks into is going to be a room full of people that think and feel the way that I do? Oh, it's such a great twist and turn in this story because it's just the rude reality of the human experience, no matter how old you are, what your gender or sexuality is, is that you can't please everyone and not everyone is going to like you. I think when your child is dealing with something that society has labeled a massive problem, it feels much more important than other problems that occur, which is having red hair or too many freckles, or not being wealthy enough to get new school uniforms at the beginning of the year, or being the kid in a wheelchair, or being the child with one parent versus two, or two dads versus one, or the divorced parent, the list goes on and on and on. A fundamental part of the human experience is that as you're growing up, you 
are exploring what it means to support or not support other people. It's a natural part of the human experience. We bully, we push around, we make fun of, we project our insecurities onto others. And so if it's not being gay, it's something else. It just is. And so, yeah, in the moment, it feels like I need to prepare my child for the reality because the whole world hates gay people. Well, actually, not true. There is a lot of people in a lot of communities who don't care. And there are also a lot of people in a lot of communities who don't care if you have red hair or don't care if you're in a wheelchair. But the truth is, you are going to interact with people for the rest of your life, no matter who you are or where you live, that don't agree with you. And teaching your child about that allows them to be a stronger individual. I believe that people who are different grow up to be stronger mentally. They have a stronger backbone. They have more empathy for others because they have a deep understanding of what it is like to be made fun of. And every bully I've ever met as a child grows up to be a dick. And they have they just they really do. do peak in school, don't they? They do. And you know what? You know how many bullies have reached out to me over the last two decades to apologize, to say they feel like crap. So what I try to do, at least when I am coaching parents through how to support their queer children is like, yeah, it's going to be difficult, but they have to be reminded that it's difficult for a lot of people. This is just one story in our society and it's going to be tricky. It's up to us as parents to figure out ways that they can feel outside of that school environment. Like they're actually not that different. And there are ways we can do that. If you are, for example, through the lens of my upbringing, the only African-American in a school of all white children, like I had growing up, parents have a choice in that instance. They can say, well, that's a part of the human experience. These children need to learn that they are different. Or they can move to a different school entirely where they're surrounded only by other African-Americans. But does that fix the problem? Does that teach them the reality of who they are? Does that allow them to work through and fall in love with what it means to be African-American? I don't have the answers, but I would argue that as a parent, it would be a much more powerful lesson for twofold. One, for them to be confronted about that reality because they're always going to be aware of their skin color as they age. But then also, are there opportunities to find other children like them in your town, neighboring towns, school activities, online portals? And so that's what I would say to parents now is your child is dealing with a problem. Maybe it's based off of your experience as an adult, but maybe it is based off their literal problem. They are being laughed at on the playground for being a little bit different. What are you going to do with that information? I would say use it as a teaching lesson understand that behind that is a child who will grow up to be more empathetic. They're going to struggle in the short term, but so are a lot of other kids. And then ask yourself, how can I ensure that these children have access to other children like them? Through the lens of this particular conversation being gay, talk to that child. What activities do you like that the other boys at school don't? Maybe it will be stereotypical. Maybe they'll say theater. Maybe they'll say dance. And then Find local studios that have boys at it or go online, share your truth with your community. Try to find Minus 18 is a wonderful Australian organization that supports um, young queer people in this country that are specifically trying to help them through mental health issues. And they do wonderful meetups where they allow very, very young kids to get together with other kids who have also come out. And so, yeah, to me, it's it's not going to be easy for you and it's not going to be easy for them. But you have to think about parenting the 28-year-old. How can I best prepare them as the, as the adult? 
There's so much power in everything that you've just shared. And I think especially there's so much power in reminding parents that at times our kids have to go through adversity and it's so hard to watch your kids go through that adversity. And sometimes we have to watch our kids be disappointed and be hurt, but the shoe is going to drop at some stage. And that's something that I had to get more comfortable with, even going through a divorce with, you know, and I often say the divorce I went through really felt like a very, um, it wasn't just a couple separating. Of course, it's a family separating and the dynamic was changing so much for the boys. And I felt so guilty and so sad and so worried about what that meant for them. Mm. And then I started to realize, oh, the shoe has dropped for them. They've learnt that they can go through hard things and they have come out the other side and they've got all of these life skills of what it means to go through change and to choose to, you know, it really, I guess, just going through that whole process made me less inclined to want to wrap my boys in cotton wool all the time because I was like, oh, I can actually see something good came from this. Yeah, and I know in, right. our com- in our conversations, you've said that to me. You're like, Kylie, don't worry about living in a small town so much because where you live actually can be one of the best things for kids in terms of their resilience. I cannot agree with you. More. Yeah. I mean, I often say to people, I use that antidote of like how happy I am, how wonderful my life has become through the lens of being a small town, Roman Catholic, religious black sheep in a very straight town. And yeah, it was really hard for me when I was growing up, but I just think about what it what it gave me, the great gifts and my ability to be so warm and loving and supportive of people who are different, but also the backbone and and gaining confidence in who I am and falling in love with this. The shoe dropped for me when I realized that I could own and be happy with this part of me. And the moment that that happened, the bullies had nothing over me and they left me alone. It happened when I was 15, when I started to believe that I was actually going to be okay, like that there wasn't something wrong with me, that clearly this was just the way I was when I started to see other people like me around. And so as a parent, if you can give your child that gift sooner rather than later, I guess for children of divorce, it's when they start to see that their parents are happy again. Oh, wow. Look at mom happier than when she was in that situation. Prioritizing happiness is a good thing, but in the short term, it's hard. Oh, wow. And they have this big moment for, for a queer child to go, there are other queer people. I can grow up to be like Sean. I can have kids and a husband and be happy. Then the bully says, what are you gay? And if you're me at 15, you turn around and go, yeah, what other stupid question do you have, Ben? And then that bully gets laughed at because he doesn't have power over you anymore. And so as a, as a parent who has a child who's struggling, it's get, it's coaching them and, and helping them believe one, that they're not alone, but two, that they're going to be okay. It's one of the things I said to you all those months ago, there are 800 million queer people on planet earth, 800 hundred million. And I just believe that that's on the lower end of the data because that's just the data we have access to. If 10% of people are something under that beautiful umbrella, then there are 800 million of us right now walking around. That's a lot of people. You might feel alone. You might feel like you're the only kid, but the reality is you're not. Look around you in your little classroom, look around you at your small town, at your school, at the mall. And the reality is 
there are other people like you. They might not feel as confident in speaking their truth right now, but they're absolutely there. And so it's just, how can we find those people? But how can you gain the confidence? It's like, wait a second. I'm not just the only person struggling. I'm not alone. There's a lot of us. And a lot of us are really happy. And this isn't something that they can have power over. They can't hold it against me or make me feel bad about it. If you can give that child that gift as soon as possible, their existence will be better. At least for me, once I had that power, no one could use it against me. And we really do live in a time where we can give our kids those resources. There are incredible books. There's the, I think it's the Heartstopper series of books. You can walk into any bookstore now and pick up a story that is going to provide so much comfort to a child who perhaps is feeling like they're very other to just go, oh, I see myself in that character. I see myself in that experience. It's just opening the door for them, isn't it? It's opening that door and being like, yeah, maybe in your nuclear, nuclear family, you're not seeing that reflected back to you, but let me show you in other ways. Exactly. And I think... I'm so happy that I'm parenting now and not when my mother was parenting me. My mom was, you know, in her community, the first generation of mothers having to deal with this problem. And so she, and she was very supportive and very passionate, but she tried hard. She went to the library. She went onto Yahoo before Google existed and was just typing in and trying to find resources. She couldn't find them. She couldn't find the books or the movies or the speakers And so I feel for her, you know, when you love your child and there's not a way to make them feel seen or heard, that's really hard. And because of that, I really did, no matter what she said, it was hard for me to believe her when she said, don't worry, you're normal. She said, God loves you, but you know, maybe someone else would it. And I was like, you're a liar. (laughs) Yeah, I know you're a liar because there's no one else like me. There's no adults who seem happy like this. You know, where are they? Whereas as a modern day parent, I mean, there are a lot of creators who make a full living sharing this type of content. There are a ton of podcasts that exist, including my own. There are unbelievable TV series for kids that they can start watching when they are quite young, where our storyline is just an element. And in some cases, it's the hero story. And so you have a you have an option to search for those shows and just play it for your child, not because that might be their story, just because you want them to be aware that it's someone else's because no one wants to be the parent of the nasty bully. No one. Absolutely. Do you have other resources that you recommend favorite books? Uh, You mentioned minus 18 there. Anything else that you would love to leave our listeners with? Mm, I have a list on my phone, which I do not have with me right now, but I might actually just give it to you and you can read it out afterwards. But Yeah, over the course of like the many years that I've been doing this for a living, I've come across like the same types of parenting books. And there are different ones for kind of every single uh, different letter of the alphabet. Um, And there are wonderful podcasts. So I can give you that, but I honestly don't have them at the top of my head. But if 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 I could just say one thing, Love, Simon, like changed my life. Uh, I was an adult when I watched it. But it's a beautiful story that I think you can find on Netflix um, about a boy who comes out to his parents and falls in love and the experience of being a, a high school student. And it was the first time that I ever saw a story like my own reflected in a way that acknowledged that it would be difficult to speak the truth. And then what can happen if you're supported by your parents. And so I think that's a really nice place to start at the top of my head. And then I would also just say like, If you're a parent living in this country, um, 
there are a lot of queer creators that are creating content on a regular basis about parenthood, about supporting queer children. Jesse and Millie, um, The Real Dads of Melbourne, myself, Denny Todorovich, Sandy McIntyre, Kath Ebbs, like wonderful creators who make content about the queer lived experience. And you can find them and follow them and just have it in the background of your own feed. You really have to ask yourself when you're a parent, am I talking into a bubble of people who are just like me? Or am I creating a world where I have influences outside of my own lived experience so that I can be better prepared to support different types of people? I know because I worked in social media a long time that most of us just follow people like ourselves with similar beliefs, with the same color skin and the same color and the same gender as our own. And so, yeah, go and just follow a couple of those uh, people. And I guarantee you these conversations will at minimum just pop up during the week. You'll start to ask yourself, oh, what would I do if that happened to my child? Or how can I best support my kid? And so that's another thing I could suggest. Amazing. I will get that list off you and I can include that. I would, again, just love to direct our listeners over to your social media and also over to the podcast, because I think listening to someone's lived experience, you know, you mentioned Kath Ebbs, then I remember listening to her episode, excuse me, I remember listening to their episode and finding it so uh, interesting just to hear their lived experience. So even going a step further than just having, you know, different people in your feeds, go and listen to their stories. Yeah, I do think with Come Out Wherever You Are, what's nice is we zero in on the moment that they spoke their truth to someone. And we talk to people who came out who were born in 1941 and people who were born in 24, like 20, you know, 2004. And so you're getting such a wide range. And the great gift of hosting that show is you're coming to realize it actually does, in fact, get better and better and better and better and better. But if you listen to recent episodes with younger people, uh, AJ Clementine is a really good example. Milo is a really good example. Kath Ebbs is a really good example. You can hear the stories of people who came out in the last, you know, you know, 10 years. And you can start to understand that it is getting pretty easy. It's, you know, there's a lot more supportive individuals. There are a ton more resources and that those young people are able to find themselves in a way all the generations before didn't. And and I think if you're a parent and it's something that makes you worried, if you're a parent and you do have a child who's, you know, queer and you're worried, listen to those episodes. And I promise you'll walk away being a little less scared. I'll pop a link directly to your podcast, come out wherever you are. And of course, to your Instagram, because you are hilarious to follow on Instagram. Thank you. I believe you now go by DILF. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I'd like to follow. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'll put a link directly in our show notes. Sean, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for giving us as a community an opportunity to share this story. It's absolutely positively makes the world a better place when we get an opportunity to talk about difficult subjects like this. So you're doing the Lord's work. You are. You're the light. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thanks. Don't have to go, I can set you free Are you good?